And take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. We're grateful for the chance to sing wonderful songs of praises to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to use a Bible from the church, there's one in front of you, should be in the pew in front of you in that little rack. You could grab that and turn to page 942. I think that would get you to Romans chapter 6 as well. I'd like to read beginning at verse 1 and read down through verse 14 and and then spend a a few moments uh, commenting on these verses. These are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified and that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, uh, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourself, your members to sin as, as instruments of, for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And it's powerful. It's living. It's active. And so, Father, we we pray that as we take the next few moments and look at these words that by the very Spirit who penned these words through the Apostle Paul, that Spirit would now be at work in our lives, not just informing us of what we may not know otherwise, but transforming us to live out the reality of what is spoken here. 
For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The heart of the Christian faith is Christ. That is what God the Father has done in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And the essence of what God has done in Christ by the Spirit is the work that He has done on the cross. We're in the middle of a four-week look at the cross. We a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how the cross rescues us. Last week, we looked at how the cross reconciles us. This morning, I want us to consider from the passage that we've just read how the cross reshapes us. Two things I want to think about. They're printed there in your insert, if that's helpful to pick that out and follow along with us in that way. We want to consider something of the what. Uh, what. What is the outcome of the cross reshaping us? And then something of the how. Some, something of the operation of how the cross accomplishes this reshaping of us. First of all, the what. Uh, what is the outcome of the cross's reshaping work in our hearts and lives? And I pick up at verse 1 again. I read it a while ago, and, and the, the first thing I want to make note of in verse 1 is, do you feel like we're in the middle of a previous conversation in verse 1? Well, we are. I mean, just he kind of picks up, and, and uh, I, I'm going to have to tell a little bit of the backstory about what's going on here, but he's just kind of picking up in mid-thought, what shall we say then? Are, are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? So let me tell a bit of the backstory before I get to the what of this morning. Really, I want to take us back to the what of two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we explored how the cross of Christ is the grounds of our forgiveness before a holy God and therefore a restoration of a relationship with a holy God we, we learned a couple of weeks ago that, that when Christ died on the cross, there was that, 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 and, that, that, and that really happened in time and space and history, that, that something happened 2,000 years ago at that moment of history that, that had great bearing for us and for our salvation, that outside of us, apart from us, Christ did a work on the cross to acquire forgiveness for people like us, any and all who would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Christ died for our sins. In other words, He, he did something on our behalf. We're, we're told in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, that Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He did something on our behalf. We're told in Galatians 3 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He has done something on our behalf. We're told in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Christ suffered for our sins, the, the righteous one for us, unrighteous ones, that he might bring us to God. God himself 
the second person of the Godhead, Jesus, took on flesh and became a man. And as the God-man, Jesus lived a perfect life. And his life of righteousness that he lived out qualified him to go to the cross and die, offer his life as a perfect sacrifice. There on the cross, he didn't die for his own sins. He didn't have any to die for. But there on the cross, he he took our sins upon himself and bore up under the punishment of our sins, the curse of our sins, paid the debt of our sins. That is how the guilt of our sin before a holy God is forgiven. So that earlier in Romans, two chapters earlier from chapter 6, Paul would quote King David from Psalm 32, but he would say in Romans 4, 7 through 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. How is it that someone like me, that people like us could stand before a holy God and hear the words, pardoned? How? Christ has done a work of forgiveness on our behalf. We don't obtain the forgiveness of our sins by our merits, by our works, by our attempt at a religious life, by our moral resolve to try better next time. No, Jesus paid it all. He died for the debt of our sins. Jesus is the grounds of our forgiveness. And all who trust in him, all who turn to him and rely upon what he did in his life and his death, are granted forgiveness and brought into right relationship with a holy God. I I point that out because this morning we've gathered here on what we culturally call Easter Sunday. We we, we particularly uh, think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and we're grateful that you're here. And and on some level you were acknowledging something happened about Jesus a long time ago. And, and, And we're grateful that you're here. But what we want for you, what we wish for you, what we pray for you is that you will come to grips with the fact that a tomb is empty. For 2,000 years, it's been empty. And what are the implications of that? That, that? that everything that Jesus said is true. We can count on this guy. And, and what he says in John 5 is that whoever believes in me will cross over from death to life. For he himself has crossed over from death to life by virtue of his resurrection. Oh, this morning... Turn to Jesus. But that brings us back to the point of what he's saying in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You say, now wait a minute, Joe. If I follow what you've just said, Jesus has obtained forgiveness for us. And our forgiveness is a gift. It's an, it's an unearned grace. 
That is, that is truly, if what you're saying, if I'm following, you, you're, what you're saying is that the, the heinousness of our sin and the great offense that our sin has caused to holy God is way outmatched by the overabundance of God's grace. You say, well, then does it matter how I live after I come to Jesus? Does it really matter? I mean, if my forgiveness is secured by Christ and not my works and not my merit and not my religious life and not my moral resolve to try better next time. In other words, if, if I didn't have anything to do with this forgiveness, then, then um, um, should, does it matter how I live? That's what he is dealing with here. That's the what of this morning. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Is the way that we have obtained forgiveness and thereby brought into relationship with God, does that invite or encourage us to sin more? Does the fact that Jesus paid it all lead us to live a careless, indifferent, and unholy life? Paul's response in verse 2 is very clear, very emphatic. He says, by no means, no way. And then he explains why there is no conceivable way that we can draw the connection that if our forgiveness is not rooted in what we've done, but rooted in what Christ has done, if, if our sin was outmatched by God's grace, then should I try to outmatch God's grace some more? And here's, here's his answer. It's a rhetorical question of sorts. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it. You see, this new facet of the cross that we are considering this morning is not simply what we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and that is how Christ died for us. Something happened outside of us that Christ did on our behalf. But what Paul is saying to us this morning is that when Christ died for us, there's a real sense in which we joined him in that death, and we died with him. And that accounts for how we are now being reshaped in how we actually live because of the cross of Christ. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, the quick and skinny way of saying that is uh, no way, no way can we continue to sin that grace may abound. Why? Because dead people don't sin. Dead people don't sin. Now, it's interesting, two weeks ago, we looked at how we were dead in our sins, and now this morning, what we're being told is that we are not only no longer dead in our sins, we are now dead to our sins. 
That, that, that our whole relationship with sin has been altered when we come to Christ, we are joined to Christ so that His death on the cross is our death on the cross to sin, and His resurrection uh, to a new life is now our resurrection to walk in the newness of life. Or look at verse 6. This is how he gets to the quick and skinny of the, of the what. We know that our old self, and I take this to mean what we once were, what we formerly were, what we used to be. He says that we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we, could, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Do you see the what? The cross reshapes us because the cross reshapes and redefines our relationship to sin. What we used to be, what we once was, what, what, what we once were as a as a as a rebel against God, as, as someone who, is, who was insubordinate to God's law, as someone who was blind to God's beauty, as someone who was hardened against God and against His Word. We're no longer that. We have now been given a new identity. We've been now transferred into a whole new realm of existence. He's, Paul is not saying... Uh, that we can no longer sin. I mean, just ask my wife if that's true of me. And she'll make that clear very quickly. Each and e- that's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. E- e- each and every day, um, we, we, we are still struggling with sin. Each and every day we choose and or we succumb to sinful attitudes and sinful actions and sinful words. And yet the key of what Paul is trying to say, the the what that he's trying to get at here, is that when we are joined to Jesus, when we come to him, we're not simply pardoned of our sin, but the very power of sin has been broken in our lives. Sin is no longer the master over us that it once used to be. We have been freed from the mastery of sin. We have been freed from the enslavement of sin. We have been freed from the dominion of sin. In fact, to be honest with you, for the very first time in our lives when we become a Christian, we, we now have, we now, we now, when we do sin, we sin out of a sense of willful freedom. Before that, we, weren't, we, we didn't have that freedom. That's all we knew to do because we were in bondage to the pulls and the passions and the desires of the sin that was dwelling within us. See, this is what we mean by the cross not only reconciles us and rescues us, but the cross reshapes us. You and I this morning, any and all who are trusting in Jesus this morning, we are already in a position to not be mastered by sin. Any and all this morning who are following the Lord Jesus Christ, who belong to Jesus, we are already in a position to live for God and to walk in a new kind of way. 
Not perfectly. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or already um, perfect. Paul Paul, Paul himself would say, I'm not saying I'm perfect just because sin is no longer my master, just because I'm no longer enslaved to sin, because sin no longer has dominion over me. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but he says this, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. I now belong to a new master. I I, I now have a new Lord. I now have a new king, and it's no longer sin. I now belong to Jesus. He is now my master, my Lord, and my king. Sometimes it don't feel that way, does it? Sometimes in the moment of our temptation to sin, sometimes it feels like sin is just as powerful and has just as much mastery over us as it did before we belonged to Jesus. And might I suggest to you at that moment you and I are struggling with what reality is. When, when you and I believe the lie of Satan that sin still owns us, we are entertaining not reality, not new reality in Jesus Christ, but we are, we are considering the old deceptive liar himself. When we're tempted to look longer at something than we should, when we're tempted to lash out in anger when we shouldn't, when we're tempted to sulk when we know better, when we're tempted to be controlled by attitudes of greed and lust and covetousness, and it feels like we have no power but to succumb to those thoughts and temptations. We are not living in touch with reality at that moment because the Scripture, regardless of how we feel, the Scripture tells us that sin is no longer our master. The being joined to Christ, the cross now reshapes how we are to live. That's something of the what. Now, let me explain a bit more. I've already bumped into it some. A bit more now of the how. How, how is it that someone like me, that someone like us, uh, no longer has sin as the master over our lives? Uh, what in the world happened to bring that change about? Well, the how is, is he's, he's discussing how we are in union with Christ. Let me, let me mention something. I don't want to go deeply down this trail, but look at what he says in verse 3, where he says, uh, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, when he uses the language of baptism here, I think on the one hand, he's literally talking about the ordinance of baptism. And, 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 and in a sense, do you notice what he's doing? He's assuming that if, for someone to belong to Jesus, that someone has, has 
publicly demonstrated their faith in Jesus through the ordinance of baptism. Because baptism is the outward display of what, of, of, of what you believe God has done in our hearts and in our lives. It, it would be uncon... So do you not know? Now, don't you, you guys have been baptized. Don't you know this is what he's saying? Do you not know that, that we have been baptized into the death of Christ? And, 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 and yet, the reason I allude to that, because the text does, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, this strongly suggests that those who trust Jesus have publicized that through baptism. And what's the significance of that? Because baptism signifies the reality of what this chapter is speaking. And what's that reality? That we who believe in Jesus are joined to Jesus. That we who believe in Jesus, just as the song we just finished singing before I came back up here, we believe that we are so joined to Jesus that Jesus, by His Spirit, is living in and through us. That Jesus not only did something for us, but that we believe, and uh, verse 5 alludes to this, verse 6 alludes to this, verse 8 alludes to this, we believe that, verse 5, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His... We shall certainly be united with him in a death and a resurrection like his. We believe that when Christ died, believers, all who are trusting in Christ, in some real sense, died in Christ and with Christ. We we, we further believe uh, that when Christ rose from the dead... That, that believers, all who are trusting in Christ, that in some sense, believers were made alive with Christ, resulting in that changes how we now live this life. The, the, the very... The, the, the very power of Jesus, the very... And the very person who empowered Jesus to live the way he lived, the Holy Spirit of God, the very power of the Spirit of Jesus now dwells in us. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives with us, in us, with the consequence that we therefore are able to walk in a new kind of life. The cross reshapes us. The cross has done something for us, but the cross has done something with us and in us. This is not automatic. It's not merely mechanical. But the very life and power of Christ by His Spirit is now inhabiting all who are trusting in Jesus so that the cross coupled with the resurrection is what is reshaping our lives today. This week ought to be a week in which we live in a new kind of way. Our old self has been crucified. Why? Because we've been joined to Jesus. In his death, we now have died to sin. Well, what's our, how should we respond in light of these realities? We've, we've been joined to Jesus. We died with Him. 
that we might be dead to sin. We've been joined to Jesus. When he rose from the dead, we were, we were raised with him that we might walk in, in a new kind of life. What's our response? Well, three responses, and then we're done. Verse 11, verse 12, and verse 13 give us some just, and I'll just make these as quick bullet points of, of the significance, the implications of how the cross reshapes us. He says there in verse 11, in light of all he said about being joined to Jesus, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, you see the difference here? What he said in the first 10 verses is you are dead to sin and alive to God if you belong to Jesus. And now what he's saying in verse 11 is so you and I must consciously, continually see ourselves that way. We, we, we must, therefore, uh, if you would, uh, we must in our daily practice become what we really already are. We're already dead to sin. And so in the, as we motor through life, we should consider ourselves as dead to sin. Why would we consider ourselves that? Because Paul has explained that to us. God's Word has told us we're dead to sin. So verse 11 is essentially saying, so agree with what God says in your life and in my life in regard to sin. Verse 12, a next step if you would. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Since we're dead to sin and we're trying to renew our mind in the, in the reality of I'm dead to sin. I need to see myself as dead to sin. Uh, I, I, how, can, how can we who died to sin still live in it? I'm dead to sin. And there, therefore then we would no longer um, allow sin to have mastery over us. We'd say, you're not the boss of me. I'm not about to let you start reigning like you used to reign in my life. Something drastic has occurred. I've been joined to Jesus. I died with him and I rose with him. And, and, and therefore, you don't control me. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body and, and to make you obey its passion. I don't have to obey you. And then the third practical implication he gives in verse 13 and, and do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness in other words, we, we've been raised to walk in newness of life so therefore take your hands and use your hands as instruments of righteousness and not instruments of unrighteousness take your eyes and use your eyes as instruments of righteousness and not instruments of unrighteousness take your mouth and use your words to be instruments of righteousness and not instruments of unrighteousness take your feet and don't go there don't go anywhere that would take your feet in a path of, as an instrument of unrighteousness. In other words, use the members of our bodies, uh, our body as an instrument for righteousness. Why? Because we've been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. The, the cross reshapes us. It alters us. It changes the kind of people that we are. And he concludes with this in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you. For you are no longer under the law, 
but under grace. The very grace of Christ that worked out your pardon and my pardon through the death of Christ. That's the, that's the grace of God. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. But that very grace of God, which was the attitude or the disposition that rescued sinners like us from our sins, is now the very grace that is the power of God to enable us to live a different kind of life. We will look at things differently. Some things we won't look at at all because of the grace of Christ. We will talk differently. Some things we won't say at all because of the grace of Christ. We will live and act differently because the grace of Christ enables us to live and act differently. Why? Because we have been joined to Jesus. We are dead to the realm and the mastery of sin. And we in Christ Jesus are alive. Alive to walk a new kind of way this day, this week. Father, thank you for what you have done not only on our behalf, but what you have done for us and with us and in us. We thank you that you have joined us to Jesus in such a profound way that sin is no longer our master, that we are now a new kind of people, that even though we still struggle and battle against sin and temptation, you have given us all the divine resources that we need to now live differently this morning. Thank you for this grace. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.